Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on a mission together. My name is Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Hey, everybody. So glad you're listening today. We are on episode number 58, and we are in the middle of the story of Joseph. On chapter 38. Oh, God. Not again. <laughs> this is going to last, I think, until we get to chapter 39. This is going to be episode 59, chapter 39. Did you do this on purpose? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be too much work. So... Genesis 38 doesn't really seem to fit into the story of Joseph so much. It kind of seems like it's taking a detour into one of his brother's stories. Mm -hmm. And then it just keeps going with the story of Joseph afterwards. So, but I think, Tim, we're going to, you have an idea of maybe why this is and how it parallels with Jesus. Yeah. So it's, some people call it a literary device. And you see this in movies sometimes, too, where you have a protagonist, a hero in a story, and then they have a character that's similar to them, but is actually the villain. And really what the story does is it uses this villain as sort of like a contrast to highlight and amplify certain things in the hero. And so what you end up doing is you end up comparing the villain with the hero, and you start noticing these differences between them. And in some ways, that's, I think that's what the writer is doing here, is that he's still doing the story of Joseph, but it's kind of like when you're watching a movie and the movie's focused on the hero, and then the scene changes and it goes in and explores another character's life. You're like, wait, what does that character have to do with the story? Then you start to discover, oh, I get it. They're using this other character to contrast with the hero and to show how this other character has chosen a different path. And so I think what the writer in Genesis is doing is they're, they're going to talk about Judah, and Judah is actually going to be that, not necessarily a villain, but they're going to serve as a contrast, or as some people would say in the world of literature, he serves as a foil, uh, a point of comparison. And Judah is one of Joseph's brothers. That's right. Particularly that was wanting to sell him off and kill him. That's right. Yeah, so he's he's definitely a villain, but it's it's not like a villain in the sense of like Yeah. you know, in a movie or something. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to we're going to read Genesis 38, 1 through 11 and then we'll narrate the rest of the chapter so that we don't have to get bogged down in reading word for word a, a really long story. I'll kind of read through here just cuz I'm going to pause at various places to make a few comments. Chapter 38 It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Okay, now here's here's the parallel. Joseph has departed from his brothers unwillingly, but here Judah is departing from his brothers willingly. So here we have a, a parallel right off from the start. Two brothers from the same family are going in different directions, uh, leaving their family. Verse 2, and Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, 
and he married her and went into her. Now, there are some linguistic echoes here of Genesis 6, 1 through 4, where it talks about how the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they went into them. Well, there's some linguistic echoes here of that scenario. And so the writer is wanting us to see, okay, there's something bad going on here. And if you compare this with the story of Jacob and of Isaac, both of them had to go through a lot of trouble to find a wife who was not of the Canaanites. And Jacob himself had to work like 14 years and ended up staying 20 years in Haran uh, to secure the wives who were not Canaanites because they weren't supposed to marry the women of the land because those women were worshiping other gods and it would corrupt the family's faithfulness to the Lord. What you have here is you have Judah doing the exact opposite of what Isaac and his father Jacob did. And he just goes off and marries whoever he wants. He marries a Canaanite woman. So verse 3, she conceived and bore a son and called, and he called his name Ur. Now, this is uh, another linguistic echo because the word Ur uh, it can mean in Hebrew, watchers. And this is one of the terms that's used in the book of Daniel to refer to the sons of God, which are also present in the story of Genesis 6. The writer here is throwing out some hints here that Judah has gone way off track here. And it's, it's almost like him marrying the Canaanites is mirroring uh, the sin of the watchers or the sons of God in Genesis 6. So she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Kezib when she bore him. So there's three sons now through this marriage that Judah has with this Canaanite woman. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, And her name was Tamar. Guess what? where Tamar comes from? She's probably a Canaanite. Okay, so now we have a family lineage. We have uh, the second generation here of marrying Canaanite women. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. Okay, and the writers wanted us to see here, this is what happens when you marry someone who worships a different god. It's not just that they're, they're of a particular nationality. It's what God do they worship. What's, what's really frightening here is that it says that, and the Lord killed him. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Whoa. <Yeah. laughs> that's, that's kind of intense. It is intense. It, and it, it comes out of nowhere. It doesn't tell you how he was wicked. It doesn't tell you what he did. But apparently he was, he was off the chain when it came to wickedness, and the Lord killed him. Uh, And so Judah said to Onan, which is Ur's brother, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother, which is sort of the practice of that day. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. In other words, the son would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. 
In other words, he 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 did sort of a friends with benefits kind of situation there. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, he killed him also. So the, the Lord is kind of shutting down this this generational lineage of unfaithfulness. And verse 11, Then Judas, Judas said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now, what's really interesting here is basically Judah is picking up on the pattern. It seems like all my sons who get related to this woman Tamar, they end up dying. And he's like, I've only got one other son left through this woman, and I'm not about to marry him off to her because he may end up dying like the other two. He basically forces her to go back to her, to her father and live with her father as a widow. But what's interesting is what happens next in the story is that uh, Judah's wife dies. And so he's alone. He's a widow. He then goes to visit someone. And when on his way to visit someone, someone tells Tamar, who's staying with her father, who is also a widow, hey, your father-in-law is going to visit a friend. And she does something very strange. She dresses up as a harlot, a prostitute, and intentionally uh, sets herself up to be seen by Judah. And Judah ends up going into her, having sexual relations with her, and a child is born from that sexual union. The, the, the dude is having sex with his daughter-in-law. Okay, and so it goes on to tell the story about how it comes out that Tamar's pregnant and it appears that she committed, you know, fornication and then Judah gets all uptight. Well, she needs to die. How dare her do that? And then it comes out that Judah is actually the one who got her pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, Judah backs off and he doesn't demand that she be killed for her so-called fornication or adultery or whatever. So when you're reading through the story of Joseph, this story about Judah and Tamar comes up and, and you're kind of thinking, okay, like what's going on here? Like, whoa, <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> I mean, this could this be like a, a movie in and of itself, right? Yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty bizarre story. And you're thinking, what, what on earth is this story doing here? And you, you really come to realize the point of this story when you understand that they're doing a comparison. Because in our next chapter, in verse, chapter 39, is when Joseph runs into some sexual temptation in Potiphar's house. And he responds in a completely different way than Judah did. He chronicles that story in, Gen in Genesis 39 to say, Joseph is not like his brother's. He, cho he has chosen a different path, even though he's been rejected, even though he's been betrayed, even though he's been sold into slavery, and he finds himself in a foreign land. He has chosen to remain faithful to God, and he's following God's developmental path. Uh, whereas Judah, in his own land, chooses to ch uh, a different path, and it sounds very similar to the path that those in Genesis 6 took. 
I think the writer is saying, hey, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you've been through. You can still choose to stay on God's developmental path. It doesn't matter what kind of evil situation you find yourself in. If you stay with God, he can still accomplish his purpose in your life if you stay on his path. It's a tale of two brothers at this point um, in the story. It's a tale of Judah, and it's a tale of Joseph. And I think the writer's wanting us to see the contrast between their two lives and their choices. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see these two side by side and notice the differences. And also like how you brought out the fact that we have a choice. We always have a choice even when evil comes on us or people do evil things to us, that we have a choice to walk with God and let him work things out. Yeah, I'm interested. How are we going to connect this with Jesus? Yeah, we're going to go up to to Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 15. And one of the things that the gospel of Matthew is really good at doing is is in the same way that Judah is sort of a, uh, a foil or a point of comparison for Joseph's story and how they took two different paths, the Gospel of Matthew does this with the story of Israel as a character and Jesus as a character. And so, essentially, Matthew kind of frames Jesus as choosing a different path than Israel chose, and that God works through Jesus' story in the same way that he worked through Joseph's story. So, we're just going to read a quick passage to see how Matthew frames this and kind of points us in this direction. Okay, that's good. Matthew 2 and starting at verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, so there's some immediate parallels here with the story of Israel. Israel goes down into Egypt, and then they come back out of Egypt. And, of course, that's a whole big story in and of itself, right? (laughs) Yeah, that we'll get into eventually. Yeah, Uh, but Matthew quotes Hosea in relation to Jesus coming out of Egypt after Herod dies with his family to come back into the land. And he quotes Hosea, which says, out of Egypt, I called my son. And so you're thinking, oh, wow, the the book of Hosea, that must be a prophecy about, you know, the Messiah. But really, if you go back and read Hosea 11, which is where he's quoting from, God is actually addressing Israel in that passage. And he's basically saying to Israel, You are my son. I tried to father you into maturity, but you wouldn't let me. I called you out of Egypt, and I tried to father you and mature you, but it didn't work out. You chose other gods and whatnot. And so what Matthew says is that the fact that Jesus went to Egypt and then comes out of Egypt, that Jesus is stepping into the story of Israel And where Israel goes left, Jesus is going to go right. Where Israel went too far, Jesus is going to stop. 
or where Israel didn't go far enough, Jesus is going to advance beyond that point and reach the goal that God always intended for Israel to reach. And so he's, he's basically framing Jesus as embodying the story that Israel was always intended to live, but never actually lived. Israel becomes kind of like Judah that took the bad choice, and Jesus is kind of like Joseph who chooses God's developmental path, and God is able to work through his life to accomplish something that he could not accomplish through uh, Israel or Judah uh, because of their lack of faithfulness uh, to God. And so all, all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is dropping these hints that Jesus is reliving the story of Israel the way it was intended to be lived. And he even make, he kind of goes out of his way to say, hey, everybody, you remember that event that happened with Israel? Well, Jesus is going through a very similar type of event, but he's responding to it differently. And therefore, he's blazing a new path. He's blazing a new trail uh, for us to follow so that we don't follow in the footsteps of our, our ancestors uh, or those who came before us. Yeah, and this is good news all around. It's great news that even if we're in a sticky situation or in a really difficult, crappy Thing that may not even be our fault, mm. we can still look to Jesus as well because he has already walked through this. He has already overcome. But also God knows, he knows the end story. He knows how to bring good things out. So yeah, I just encourage you, if, if you're in a difficult situation, to turn to God and ask for help. He can bring you through he can do great things. Yeah, so don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your life or the way things seem to be going. Your story is not over. And we will see that in Joseph's story as well as we continue that, wow, what a really crappy way to be treated by your family. It would be easy for him to give up, but he doesn't. He continues to look to God, and we'll see in the future episodes, how God just really comes through and puts him on a even greater path, I'm sure, than Joseph would have ever imagined. So we're going to close out here. Thanks so much for listening today, and I hope you are encouraged. If you have any questions or comments, please go to our podcast notes to respond. We appreciate you all listening, and we will catch you next time.